0: Welcome to Temperature Check, a podcast about climate, justice, and the people making a difference. I'm Jess Stahl, editor for creative storytelling at Fix. And this season of Temperature Check, we're turning over the reins to climate and justice leaders to talk about mentorship. For each episode, we asked one change maker to tell us who inspires them, who supports them, and then we brought them together.
1: For a lot of queer people, like, we don't have elders or examples of who and how to model our lives after. So I think that we get to be elders for younger uh, generations and really be there for one another. We're always kind of, like, keeping each other in check. And, like, we're always looking at, like, what is possible? What can we create? What can we build and do in the world?
0: It's so important to have people to laugh it off, cry it off.
2: Yeah, I think I see you as a mentor and we kind of created a community where, you know, we can mentor each other.
0: This conversation of the series is with Patty Gonia and Spencer R. Scott. Patty is an environmentalist, drag queen, and Instagram personality who aims to build community for queer people, allies, and the planet. Patty chose to speak with Spencer R. Scott, an environmentalist, writer, and biologist focusing on the climate crisis. Spencer is also co founder of Solar Punk Farms, a queer run agricultural community space designed to explore and celebrate regenerative models of living. Today, Patty and Spencer talk about how they're working towards a more inclusive, safe, and joyful future in the outdoors. And now, I'll hand it over to them.
2: Hello, I am Spencer Scott. I am a scientist, writer, environmentalist, and co-founder of Solar Punk Farms. And my pronouns are he, him.
1: My name is Patty Gonia, and I'm an intersectional environmentalist and drag queen, and I use she, they pronouns in drag. And out of drag, my name is Wynne Wiley, and I use he, they pronouns.
2: Um, To me, Patty is just the most wonderful and bright shining human on Instagram and out in the real world on the trail. Big hero of mine and just glad to call him my friend. Spencer Scott is a mentor of mine,
1: someone I look up to, a fellow queer human on planet Earth that's just trying to make the world a better place. I am just obsessed with how much Spencer uses collaboration and community and joy as huge roots of the work he does for our planet. And so our relationship is fun. It's fruity. It's queer. It is lovely. And yeah, I really look up to Spencer. Thanks,
2: Patty. Oh, here we go. Yay. <laughs> I actually followed when when you were a photographer. yeah, And I think during that era, I was also very much into photography, having that route and like appreciating the outdoors. Mm. And then suddenly when became Patty and Patty was born and it was this thing that the world just desperately needed. I was really fortunate to go on one of Patty's hiking tours and speak at one of those. And that was the first time I believe we met in person. I really look up to Patty's ability to foster community and really to uplift other people and continually use her platform to bring as many people to the conversation as possible, get a diverse set of views and conversations going, especially in bringing those to places that maybe needed those conversations.
1: I love that you brought that up that you were there since the birth of Patty, because I feel like as Patty was beginning, you were also leaving research work in the science world, yeah. to pursue writing and to pursue different ways to advocate for our planet. Yeah. What were the feelings that started to turn in your belly before you actually made the move, and then when was the moment where you knew you had to do something else?
2: Yeah, so for people that don't know, I got my PhD in bioengineering. And after grad school, I worked at Cancer Biology Lab as a research scientist. And right around 2018, after the IPCC report came out, and I had been in the climate space kind of adjacently and thinking about it constantly. But that started my process of being like, this is something I'm really passionate about. And it felt like something I could use all of my creativity toward. People ask me, like, should I quit my job? And I don't Mm. advocate that everyone change everything about their life in response to climate. I mean, change some stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I think that to me, it was a combination of two things. One was I saw climate change as like this huge pressing issue. And two, I saw it as something that I was drawn toward and wanted to work on. And so there was a need and something within my own story that felt like okay I love science but I also have always wanted to be a writer I've always wanted to express myself more creatively and I think that's kind of where I found myself now which is seeing climate change as this amazing opportunity to express ourselves in different ways and create a different future so that's the path I love that so much.
1: You know, it's, it's interesting. I feel like I've only really been strutting in the direction of climate with Patty for like a year and a half. But I think it's really interesting because I think that we often feel like we have to like have these breakthrough moments or almost get permission in order to like do work for climate because we should have degrees and we should be <laughs> able to do this and that or the other. But really, it's just using the things you love and the things you're good at yeah. towards something you really care about.
2: Oh, 100%. percent mm-hmm. I am, in a lot of respects, an outsider to climate. You know, I didn't go to the school specific for environmental studies or anything like that. Same. Same. Yeah. And I think that everyone has a role that they can play. And when I stepped away from research, I kind of took a survey of what I had to offer. You know, I have a science background. I can read scientific papers and I love writing and communicating. And so I'm like, I'll step into education around climate as much as I can. I saw the opportunity and and went there first.
1: I love that. Yeah. Every movement needs different kinds of people, right? We need the change makers. We need the mother figures. We need people who are caretakers and caregivers or educators or people that work with different communities and people that can like also use their identity in a unique way to advocate for our climate as well. Absolutely. I really look up to the work you do to like builds community for the queer environmental movement, which is a very small circle inside of the climate community, Mm -hmm. but yet is full of so many people that also need to be reached and also need community for them.
2: Absolutely. Patty... Could you describe your drag and what made you want to take your drag into the great outdoors? Like what was the catalyst that created Patty?
1: Such a good question. Um, I would describe my drag as ridiculous, very camp many many definitions of that word camp but <laughs> the first time i ever really did drag was in the outdoors it's not like i took my drag there it was literally born there so like the first time i actually did 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 drag was literally at the base of a fourteen thousand foot mountain and yeah my drag very unconventional because i perform for and in the outdoors But that's where I find myself. That's where I would be if I wasn't doing drag. I think a lot of times people think of drag queens and they think of just bars and clubs, but I think that drag is a queer art form that can be taken and is taken so many different places. And I just love applying my art form and and doing it in a place I love, you know, like plein air painters. It's just my version of painting in the outdoors, but just doing it on my face instead. Yeah, the first time I did drag in the outdoors, I literally just strutted to a Fergie song. It was Fergie. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah. Very, um, I would say, deconstructed drag, just high heels. It was like me wearing these ridiculous gloves. But we've since graduated from like total fetus drag queen to like yeah. toddler drag queen. So now we're like kind of doing drag fully, but we're still figuring it out, you know? Yeah, yeah.
2: Had you wanted to express yourself with drag and then you were seeing this opportunity of like, how do I get people's attention to care about littering in the outdoors or, you know, treating Mother Nature correctly? Mm. Did those two things converge in that way?
1: Yeah. I never planned for it. It just kind of happened. Yeah. What I knew and what I feel like I've always been good at is just making things happen or bringing people together. Um, Like I've always been the person that's kind of like organized birthday parties for friends or just try to like do what I can to creatively support something. And for the longest point in my life, that was just with a camera in my hand. But I realized that I could take those same things and apply it to drag into doing what I'm doing now. Isn't it kind of interesting how your life's a set up for your life? You know, I feel that to my core, uh, we can't really see that our life is just working out a certain way, but it kind of always does. Mm-hmm, totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think for the longest time, I mean, being a queer person, I, I squashed my femininity and my expression in so many ways and shapes and form because I'm from the Midwest and you don't do drag in the Midwest. You're a good gay kid who never steps out of the boundaries and never makes anyone else comfortable. So I think for me, doing drag is a big way that I am reclaiming like my femininity and also a lot of my childhood I left behind. And Mm -hmm. I'm really curious to hear for you how your intersection of your identity has worked with your work in life and with what you've built and where that intersection has been and where there's been dissonance or where there's been a lot of joy.
2: Yeah, I think having like a queer mindset on the world and going through life, feeling like you're a little bit removed from what you're supposed to be allows you, if you, you know, have enough space and safety to like explore who you are and how is that different than what's currently going on. And so like, You are already used to not being part of the status quo. And I think that gives you a superpower in creating community outside of the status quo. That's what we really were trying to accomplish at Solar Punk Farms, which is allowing people to see an example that something else is possible. And a different version of community, especially for a queer community where the rural areas aren't always very accepting of queer identities. And I think our goal was to kind of bridge the gap between cities where queer folks usually congregate because we we can kind of form in larger groups and form community and feel safe with each other and feel like we can express ourselves fully but i think in cities we're kind of missing some aspect of like connection to land and place what we were hoping to do was to bridge that gap and like offer a safe space in the rural farm setting where people can come out and, you know, nurture that connection and be their full weird selves in an outdoor nature oriented space. Yes. We love to see it. Yes. yes, yes. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's it's so powerful to do work with land, right? It's so powerful to just, Mm -hmm. I know it sounds so fruity, but just touch some dirt, like get dirty and, and go to work, you know, and see that labor pay off. And also do it with other queer people and get a chance to meet each other and meet new community. And yeah, I really look up to the work you do as well in like rural spaces. Cause I think that so much of the time climate work is done in cities and is done in these metropolitan areas or queer inclusion work is done in metropolitan areas. You know, like the narrative of queer people is to run to big cities for acceptance. Mm -hmm. But I think I'm finding that running into the woods or running into a field is like the most accepting place to be, but there's a lot of barriers there. Yeah. A question I have for you is, you know, we're all working towards making the outdoors feel safe and feel accessible for the queer community, but I'm wondering about the barriers that you feel to accessing outdoor spaces or even just rural spaces and the importance of breaking them down.
2: Yeah, I think that's an amazing question. And I think that that's something that we are trying to work on, of course, which is creating a space in a rural area where people feel safe. And I and I do feel like there's so many people across the country that are queer farmers doing similar things. And we are super lucky because the town we're in kind of has a history of queer acceptance. Mm-hmm. Our farm is an hour and a half north of San Francisco in a town called Guerneville, California, on the Russian River. And it is on... Coast Miwok in Southern Pomo land. It's a queer vacation spot since the 50s or 60s. In terms of like ecology, queers are like pioneer species where, you know, we're going and testing out new areas and trying to spread. There are clearly barriers, and that's what keeps us kind of like closer to what feels safe and where we're accepted. But I'm just very curious where queerness will go in the future as hopefully queerness becomes more and more accepted everywhere. Mm. I do feel like there's a responsibility for people to continually push where it is accepted. Mm. Because I think if you create like a vacuum and rural places are just left devoid of queerness, no one will have any example of what queerness looks like and they'll never be allowed to form an acceptance of it. Feeling like you can go into a place and challenge what's there, for a lot of people, it can be an unsafe Environment, um, Mm. we're both white men. Um, And I think that is super important to use, like what privilege we have to make queerness as visible as possible.
1: Totally. That is on my mind all the time because, in the way that I go outdoors, it is very traditional and very untraditional. You know, like I'm out backpacking, I'm out hiking, I'm out using public spaces, aka recreating on stolen land. And there's a giant history there. There's a history where one, indigenous people have had a genocide against them. Two, a history where queer people have really never been accepted because it's definitely been straight and cis dominated, as is the rest of the world. And, you know, we hear all the time that the outdoors are for everyone and the outdoors don't discriminate. And I'm like, yeah, but guess what? People do and people are in the outdoors. And so, I think it's really important to queer those spaces and to just be visible in more rural and outdoor spaces and to really work to leverage the privilege you also have along with your marginalized status to ally other communities. So a lot of the work that I do is honestly just amplifying or being a very active follower to other people's work. Yeah. That is really important. And I think that's possible for all of us. You know, when we think of leadership leadership, quote unquote leadership or climate activism or work we can think that it's being on the front lines of a movement when really honestly most of the time it is silent work it is not seen work it is active follower work where you are really being a part of a group and a follower of a leader that's really leading in some really beautiful ways and I wish more people knew that I wish I knew that earlier yeah I think I think that's what the work I'm really curious about that I do right now because, The work that's seen is just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes, and there are so many barriers for people to get outside, whether that's having a car and enough financial privilege to go, to visit these national parks that are hundreds of miles away from cities, all the way to, you know, what is it like if you're the only Black person or only queer person on the trail? Mm -hmm. What is your safety like if you identify as a woman? How about being a trans person? You know, we don't think about this either, but... In order to go to a lot of these beautiful and natural spaces that are the outdoors, you have to stop at like eight gas station restrooms to get there. And a trans person is probably going to be discriminated against at every single one of those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We kind of think that like the outdoors are this equitable space where everyone can just walk outside and walk into a park. But guess what? First of all, not even everyone can walk. I was just in Central Park earlier today and... That park is one of the most accessible urban spaces I've ever seen in my life. But so many of the trails I'm on, if you use a wheelchair, there's no way you can enjoy them. And so I think accessibility means so many things. And there's a lot of barriers to the outdoors being a space where everyone is equal.
2: Absolutely. Patty, how do you maintain your own feelings of safety and joy? In the outdoors, I go outside with other
1: people. Yeah,
2: all the time. I'm very rarely truly going outside alone. I
1: love experiencing with other people. I feel safer with other people. I would encourage anyone if they want to get into the outdoors more that it's just better with a friend. It's the same with like any climate work. It's not as fun when you're doing it alone, uh, to me. But I think it's really beautiful when your outdoor experience can be. Collaborative too. Yeah. I've seen things and been places that I would have never gone to if it wasn't for an amazing group of friends or people taking me there. I'm curious how you do it too. How do you do it on the farm?
2: I think the statistic is true. I live in the most liberal rural county in America. And I think in this particular area, it's actually becoming almost a haven for queer people. There's this amazing organization, Shelterwood, that's nearby that's creating like a 900 acre queer BIPOC sanctuary. Like uh, there's another one called Earthseed. My friend Pandora Thomas started and there's just like so many great places in this county that I'm super excited about. I think we feel really lucky to be here and maintaining our own feelings of safety probably happens more like when we're hiking or backpacking. I don't know, I'm a little bit defiant. I'd want to challenge people if, if they tried to make me feel unsafe. Yes. Um, but, I don't know, I think I've been fortunate enough that that's never been, like, a huge issue in the outdoors. But then again, I also, like, go on very, like, remote hiking places. You know, the goal is to not see other people, but community is super important in that. And I that's why I love what, you know, you've done with your hiking tours. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes,
1: yes, yes. Yeah, you yeah. got to get people together, right? And sometimes you just have to have, like, an entry point. I wouldn't have gotten into the outdoors if I wouldn't have started going outside with organizations as a kid. You know, I think that it's really hard to start something alone, but it's really easy when you can do it all together. So yeah, we try to organize those hiking tours to just be like an easy access point for people to get out and try something new if they haven't gone outside. And I've been really grateful for that and the climate space as well, because I think it's really easy to feel like it's this elite group of people when really it's an excited group of people that are just creating community. And it's, a common understanding of we're going to use whatever we can to ally the planet and it feels warm it feels joyful yeah I wish more people knew that about the climate community that is forming lately and I think that people are doing it in really unique ways you know when I think about the work you're doing on the farm it's on a world scale incredibly micro small but incredibly important for everyone that touches it and for the earth in that area and I think we're going to need more of that I think we're going to need more hyper local hyper, little, tiny, beautiful solutions. Yeah, I'm curious to hear, why do you see connecting people to the outdoors as a part of the climate fight? Like, what makes that such a powerful tool?
2: I wrote an essay sort of about this where I thought that the first thing that people should do who are new to the climate is to start identifying plants and animals and creatures around them because... Our brain like literally doesn't see things that we don't care about. And so if you don't know the names of trees or know the names of the native species in your area, your brain has like no pathway to care about it.
1: Spencer, that's so true.
2: (laughs) And so I think if you're going to care, which we need as many people as possible to care about this something needs to feel like it's on the line. And in order for that to be true, you got to introduce yourself to the living things around you that are also being harmed. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like some environmentalism can like forget about people sometimes. It's super important to know the natural landscape, but it's also important to know like the human landscape you're in as well and see those things, stop ignoring them so that you can empathize with them. And so it's kind of like the full ecosystem. And I think getting into the outdoors at least solves the natural aspect of that and allows you to see the things that we want to protect, things that are worth saving.
1: Totally. I can't believe I'm going to say this right now, but like, I'm going to reference a meme. (laughs) It's a meme I saw that was a photo of a concrete jungle of a suburbia city in Texas. And literally like above it, it just says like, we give kids this and expect them to care about the planet. Like, Oh, yeah. They have nothing to be connected to, mm-hmm. and I really found that to resonate to even my life too. Coming from Nebraska, because nature to me was literally cornfields and soy fields, yeah. and it was just that it was it was a place where people went to work. It wasn't really like nature. Yeah, um, I never really felt connected to it, and I think we are living right now with a giant disconnection between our world where. Also, because of religion and Western culture, we think that humans are like holier than thou and are greater than nature rather than us being a part of nature. Yeah. And I really think that we have to do that too. And so that's why I love what you mentioned because it's so true. If we don't know what nature is, what these things are, it's not going to register in our brain. Yeah, And I also think when we hear every single day that we have to fight for our planet and advocate for a planet. Yes, that is true. And also we have to connect to our planet because we fight for what we love. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So we have to fall in love with these things. We have to also fall in love with each other, especially people that are different than us. Like, I have found this to be so true in my life that once I have a relationship with someone that's different than me, especially if that person comes from like a different identity I will feel so much more passionate about advocating for them. It's hard to be a part of the Black Lives Matter movement if you don't have a Black friend, if you don't know Black people. It's hard to realize how many barriers still exist today for queer people unless you have queer friends. Yeah. So truly, I think it's about like diversifying the ecosystem of like the people that are in our lives too. Um, because I don't think that in an environment where we are around just other people just like us or just as privileged as us, allows for enough diversity for anything to thrive, but with diversity, anything is possible in nature. Like That's what nature shows us every single day. 100%. Spencer, I want to share a quote that I think you and I both love um, also when it comes to climate work, and that's by Mary Hugler. Ugh, hero. Hero, she wrote. I love this. They say that the thing about climate work is that you can be so focused on the problems and the issues, or you can like refocus on the beauty and the creativity of solutions. I think that we need more of that as well. Mm -hmm. We need more solutions and those solutions are probably going to be queer and weird and odd and... Yeah, um,
2: exactly. Quote
1: unquote out there, but they're really possible. And I think they're only possible when people can take a look at like what makes up their life and can get to work in really unique ways.
2: I'm uh, Yeah, that resonates with me so strongly because that is the bulk of what I focus on, which is solutions and future ideation and ideating a future that is better than the one we currently have. I think that there's a lot of justifiable doom and gloomism, and I think that's kind of like the wake-up call and the rallying call we need to shake ourselves out of The rut of continued status quo Mm -hmm. but then from there if all we're offering is fear and negativity a lot of people are just gonna be like oh i'm going back to the thing that i know because this new thing you're trying to get me to care about seems scary and i don't like it and so that's what solar punk is Mm -hmm. solar punk is this movement in literature and activism that asks the question what does a sustainable future look like and how do we get there And so it's not just thinking about what the future could look like. It's organizing, it's trying new things, it's getting queer, it's getting weird. And ultimately it's arguing that there is this better future that we could create that's more equitable, Mm. more enjoyable, more fulfilling, more beautiful. And I think that that is what I like to focus on. And I think it's the message that people are going to be most receptive to.
1: Mm. Maybe I should move back to Nebraska and just start a farm.
2: (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll take some
1: monocrop corn and soy farm and turn it into some healthy land. I love that. Some queer and healthy land. <laughs> yeah. And I think the advice that I would give to anyone who's looking to get outside more or even to do climate work, it's the same no matter what it is. But really, I think it starts with taking a look at your identity and seeing what makes up you, you know, and then ask yourself, like, what brings you joy? What are you good at? Yeah, look at what work needs to be done. That work is often local. That work is often really small. And that work is often work that only you can do. So when I think about people taking climate action, you know, I think that everyone forgets that if you're an accountant, well, every movement needs an accountant, right? If you are an artist, every movement needs artists. If you are an organizer, every movement needs organizers. And also like similarly, like along with those roles in the climate movement, when it comes to going outdoors, you get to decide what going outside and being outdoorsy looks like for you. It is not just hiking 10 miles, or hiking 100 miles and backpacking and the grueling grit of bagging that next peak. It might be looking outside and appreciating birds or going on a walk with a friend or growing a garden. Hashtag Spencer Scott and Solarpunk Farms. It might be starting a farm. It really (laughs) is up to you. And I think that we get a chance to define and to redefine what climate work looks like and also what the outdoors looks like
2: too. So for climate work there's a Bill McKibben quote that's like the most important thing you can do is stop being an individual, which I think is the coolest advice because our culture has so much pressure on the individual. And I think our true power lies in like how we organize and how we level up our influence to larger circles. If I was new to climate, I would start Googling local area climate organizations. There's so many. Mm. As far as the outdoors, I love what Patty said, which is like, it doesn't need to be this big, huge thing. Go on a walk in a local park and... I love to see nature through photography because it really makes you pay attention to how things look. And like Mm. the whole time you're experiencing it and seeing it, that was an amazing, amazing place to start for me. Patty, what has my friendship and work meant to you? Uh, It's meant that... We're not alone in the work
1: we do. I think it is so powerful to know that you have other people that are there with you in the fight for things you care about. I think also we forget about the power of friendship and just like having someone that's rooting and cheering you on. I think there's a lot of people out there that need some good friendships in their life. And I'm so thankful to know so many amazing little golden eggs in so many different corners of the world doing such beautiful work and Our friendship here is one of those golden eggs where I feel like I literally know someone in an area. Like I can go and visit them. I can see the work they're up to. I can see what they do different and how they do things similarly, and we can collaborate. But it's also one that I feel like I passively learn a lot through. So much of the work that you do is through just sharing and communication. And it's such a powerful tool. I've learned things from you, and I feel like so many people have learned things from you that you don't even know these people's names but they're reading your climate work they're seeing what you're doing on your farm and I think it's really beautiful to like put who you are out there unapologetically and to put your beliefs out there especially in a culture that wants to shut everyone's belief down because they're not X, Y, or Z enough and I I really think when I like think of our friendship I'm just really thankful for you just fighting for what you believe in because I think we need more of that.
2: Thanks Patty. Oh. (laughs) I appreciate that.
1: I mean, it. okay, I'm going to ask you the same question. What is my friendship and work meant to you?
2: Yeah, I think I see you as a mentor and we kind of created a community where, you know, we can mentor each other. Mm. You know, I was thinking about what mentorship means. And I, and I really think that we're all just kind of trying to figure out what is the life that I should live? I think we see that in each other. We're kind of testing boundaries and trying to see what works. And it really helps to have a community that's all experimenting with different things and showing how to be unapologetically yourself and trying something that is different because we need different visions in order to move forward. Mm-hmm. To me, you're an amazing example of that in how hard you work and all of the different perspectives you bring to the table has just been so illuminating. And I think as, as set an example, not just for me, but for a lot of people of how to do good work, how to be honest, how to own up to your mistakes and show your growth and putting your full experience out there so that other people can live. Because I think a lot of people, particularly queer people are looking for examples Mm. and, You are an amazing example to follow. At the very least, your unapologetic desire to be you opens the door for so many people to be like, you know what, I can be who I want to be. I also can map myself onto this person's love of nature and protecting everyone and everything on earth. And I think that that is super inspiring because it it helps people also feel that passion. So it's been an honor (laughs)
1: i really appreciate you saying that i really appreciate you yeah when i think about our relationship i think it's definitely like we are both teachers and we are both learners and it's it's circular it's there's not like a hierarchical structure it's
2: yeah it feels really
1: beautiful to learn different things from each other and what you said really resonated with me because I think for a lot of queer people, like we don't have elders or examples of who and how to model our lives after or what to do because we just, yeah. the examples we would have had died in the AIDS crisis and yeah. the examples that we had were also closeted. And so I think that we get to be elders for younger uh, generations and really be there for one another. I think it's really powerful.
2: Absolutely. well thank you so much patty spencer
1: i appreciate you so much like (laughs) it's mutual the love that i am trying to throw your way through a screen right now and through (laughs) a microphone (laughs) is massive i thank you for taking the time spencer i'm very excited to see how our little queer paths can cross in this world me too yay onward and forward onward
2: and forward into
1: heels and in hiking yep.
2: boots exactly
0: <laughs> 100% thank you so much for listening and thanks to Patty Gonia and Spencer R Scott for sharing your time with us this episode is one of 6 conversations we published this month as a part of our mentorship issue you can read more about mentorship at grist.org/fix, where we're exploring the power of mentorship in climate work and how mentorship must change to make the space more inclusive and accessible. That's at grist.grist.org/fix. Temperature Check is a podcast from Fix Grist Solutions Lab, produced in association with Reasonable Volume. I'm Jess Stahl, Fix's editor for creative storytelling. Fixes Claire Thompson, Camille Williams, and Josh Kimmelman all contributed to this podcast with additional contributions from FIX managing editor Jamie Berger and designer Mia Torres. This podcast is produced by Audrey Noh with associate producer Dominique French and editing by Elise Hugh and Rachel Swaby. Sound engineering is by Mark Bush. If you'd like to support what we do, you can rate, review, and tell all your friends to follow Temperature Check. And go listen to all of our other conversations on mentorship right now in this podcast feed. See you there.